Yeah, we're all, we're all catching on. <laughs> all right. Uh, today's reading is from Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members who do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Ooh, is that a little hot? Sounds a little hot. Matt, you want to just, this, there's a slider. Just put, bump it down a smidge. I'm not trying to blow anybody's eardrums out here from talking. Well, um, there's kind of a, kind of a trope uh, that, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's an American thing. I don't know if it's a, a thing of my generation. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, but I imagine a lot of people can relate to it. You know, we're always kind of looking for that one great person, like this one genius uh, who, who kind of people can just rally behind and sort of uh, follow to glory, if you will. Uh, of course, there's God, there's Jesus. There's, there, that's one example that's one <laughs> well worth considering. But in human terms, um, it's usually not that simple. Um, we're looking for this one great person, a given field, a company, a family, whatever. I, I, I think one of, the, one of the people that's, or one of the categories of person that sort of exemplifies this more than anything is that of like the modern pop star. So these modern pop stars are people larger than life. Like they're so cool. They're so creative. You go to a concert and it's like all of the latest like technology, screens and lights and I don't even know what, pyrotechnics bringing this vision to life. And you go, oh my gosh, this person is an absolute genius. An absolute genius. And that may be the case. There are geniuses in the world, and I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate pop music or whatever. Um, there, are, there are pop geniuses out there. Um, but more often than not, more often than not, what you're witnessing, what you're recognizing as like the great thing and the great person is the result of a gigantic team of people, isn't it? I mean, think, I mean it's, it's, it's inconceivable, actually, that any of the great pop stars, maybe they had a hand in designing the stage or something, I want it to kind of look like this, but they are not the ones who engineered how to make fire shoot out of that stage without burning anybody, <laughs> you know? They are not the ones who figured out how to construct a, a massive set unlike you've ever seen and how to break it down night after night and rebuild it in such a way that's safe where it doesn't come crashing down on the person. Um, yeah, it's inconceivable that even when you look at them, go, oh, they're so glamorous, they're so cool, they're so beautiful, this or that, that every one of those uh, sort of aesthetic choices was their own and not the result of a team of consultants and people like helping and it's like, no, 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 you don't do that, don't do that. This is what's in right now. You get my point. You get my point. 
pop singers, even down to the music itself is usually the product of massive teams of songwriters. You know, it's, it's massive. You know, you look at a, a songwriting credit for most pop stars and you see 20 names. People like trying to contribute one little hook that kind of adds dimension to the song or one little lyric or whatever. Um, that's just the way it is. And that's okay. That's okay. That doesn't mean the music's not worth enjoying. That doesn't mean the concerts aren't worth going to or whatever. Uh, but, but, but the sort of vision of like the one central genius from whom all of this flows is just usually not the case. It's the case with that. It's the case with even more insidious things like social media influencers where the whole idea is that you're just, look, this is just kind of an informal look at my life. Everything's a selfie video. Uh, it's just designed to look like, oh, this is all just off the cuff, just me. It's just me here. But what you don't see, of course, is probably, for many of these people, a team of makeup artists and lighting specialists and consultants deciding what they can and, should, can and can't look like or say, what products they can and can't subtly advertise and whatever else. I was talking with Josh the other day as we were talking about this series around spiritual gifts and uh, we're shifting gears a little bit, but he was talking about being with his daughter at the airport and kind of looking and seeing like once you deliver your suitcase, it gets taken off. Who's the one true genius of the airport? Realistically, it's probably the air traffic controller, huh? They, 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 they keep everything safe. But no, the pilot, there's glory to, the pilot's where the action is, right? You're the airline pilot, you're cool, you've got the cool hat, you've got, the, I don't know, it's, just, it's a whole vibe. And the airline pilot, I mean, gosh, we need good pilots, okay? I don't want an unqualified pilot driving my plane, of course. Thank God for good, trustworthy pilots. They're important. Not denigrating pilots here. But Josh is exactly right. The experience of flying somewhere is not dependent simply on the pilot, though may, they may be the one that's kind of the most glamorous or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's more like a 1960 thing, like the glamorous pilot. I don't know. Um, but gosh, air traffic controllers making sure planes aren't splattering into each other. Uh, people taking tickets. Oh, gosh, even, even the TSA is doing something for us, <laughs> keeping us safe. Uh, some days. Um, and Josh was pointing out to his daughter, like, even, like, like, the guy, like they look, you look out the window as you're waiting for your plane and you see the guys loading your suitcases onto the plane. Like, that whole infrastructure that's typically unseen, undervalued, unappreciated, you will not have a positive travel experience without those people doing their job effectively. It'll go horrible. It'll go horrible. No matter how good or how cool your pilot is. So, my point is this. My point is this. There's something in us that just keeps wanting to gravitate towards kind of that one true key person that we can just slot behind. But, but I think if we're honest, it's just kind of not how almost anything works in this world apart from Christ. Uh, we might want it to be, but it just, it just isn't. Um, so today is the second of our four-part series uh, looking at the spiritual gifts. We've been, we've been in a larger series about the Holy Spirit, and now we're in our second of four weeks talking specifically about the spiritual gifts because there's controversy here, there's unclear things, things we want to take the time to really unpack from a few different angles. Um, and so here's, here's part two. And we, we defined last week the spiritual gifts as this. There was a kind of a three-part definition. We said these are spirit empowered abilities 
that are given freely to each of God's people as he sees fit for the purpose of maturing the church community. Um, and we noted that, to, so, so on that definition, which I think is the biblical definition, more or less, it means to speak of spiritual gifts is to immediately speak of community. It's, it's to immediately speak of finding your place in the community and the contributions you have to make both to them and that you have to receive from other people and their spiritual gifts. Um, we also noted this, um, spiritual gifts are not, we have to, we'll just have to say this, we have a real tendency to want to try to earn our standing with God. Spiritual gifts are not how we earn our keep with God. You becoming aware and developed and, and, and useful in your spiritual gifts is not how you finally please God. It's not the key to his favor. It's not the key to him loving you. It's not the key to him welcoming you into his family. That's all through the grace of Christ crucified dead in our place, but risen to new life, offering us forgiveness, grace, and mercy. So instead, the spiritual gifts are further gifts of that grace that flow from the gospel. They are actually how, we said last week, God begins to share, one of the ways, God begins to share his power with you. In his generosity, he wants to involve you in his work. Though he could snap his fingers and just make everything the way he wants, he says, no, I choose to work through my people. I want to give them the joy and the privilege of using another biblical metaphor, being my hands and feet in the world. That's what spiritual gifts are. And with that said, with that brief moment of recap, I just want to pray one more time, and then we're going to look at another passage about spiritual gifts. We're going to tie it back to, to our airline pilot here in a minute. Well, Father, um, we want to be your hands and feet, Lord. Lord, we, we, want to, we want to be them. We want to do what you have for us effectively. We want to do it faithfully, Lord. We, we want to represent you fairly and honestly and lovingly. Um, and Lord, we know that a key part of that is, is learning to be your body, learning to be the various members that make up your body, learning to develop and identify and grow in our spiritual gifts that we might serve others and be served by others. In this very community, Lord, this small church here in Northeast Portland, this is all for us. Um, so as we continue to reflect on your scripture, Lord, we pray that you would just lead us into the truth, push us further. Uh, may, may today be one step forward for us growing into this beautiful vision that you have for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's, there, are th there are four passages that speak of spiritual gifts. There's three kind of main ones that have a lot, kind of, they're a little bit longer. The first was what we dis discussed last week out of Ephesians 4. And we said that what, what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4, the gifts he chooses to highlight, we said they're kind of like leadership gifts, gifts connected with leadership in the church or perhaps the advancing of the gospel. Um, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians more, a little bit today, but another week in more detail that emphasizes kind of the more supernatural gift, prophecy and tongues and healing, mir miraculous things that you look at and go, whoa, that is out of the norm. The passage we're looking at today that Alexander read for us from Romans 12, it's the one that emphasizes more than, it has, there's overlap between all three of these lists, but this one emphasizes what we might call the mundane gifts. And what I mean by that is the, the, the gifts of the Spirit that we read and we go, what's spiritual about that? 
What's supernatural about that? Why, why do I need the Spirit of God empowering me to do that? We kind of scratch our head. We don't think of them as exciting. We don't think of them as super fun. We don't think of them as super mystical and intriguing. But the Scriptures do. The Scriptures do. So we've got to interrogate that difference. Why, why don't we view these things the way that Paul does or that Jesus does? Um, so to, to read the first part of this again, Paul says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let us use them. And we'll pause there. He then goes into a list of gifts. So Paul's pointing out here that, that there's, there's always a temptation for us to overvalue or undervalue our own contributions to the church. There's always a temptation to either think more highly of ourselves than we ought to or think more lowly of ourselves than ought to. And the body of Christ, this idea of the body of Christ that he talks about is one of the key things that can shake us out of either of those errors. He starts this discussion suggesting that thinking on the spiritual gifts is an important part of maintaining a right view of ourselves. He recognizes we all face the temptation to think too highly or too lowly of ourselves, and he wants us to think instead with sober judgment, to think accurately about ourselves. You know, we're kept, when we think about the body of Christ, and, and we're going to read the First Corinthians passage that kind of expands on this idea later. But he's like, look, look, there's one body here. There is one body made up of many members. We are one body in Christ, but individually members of one another with different functions. He says this, this idea, if you really believe that, if you really come to understand that, that keeps you, A, from thinking too highly of yourself, because what it tells you is that <laughs> if you're, <laughs> whatever function you play, you can't be the only function in a healthy body, Right? If you're a foot, feet are important. Feet are important. And there are people in our congregation that have lost feet legitimately. And they know the pain of not, of not having this important appendage that helps us do things. So feet are important. They serve a crucial role. But if the body was nothing but feet, it's a nightmare. <laughs> you don't want to see that body. It's weird. I'm sure a movie has been made about it or something. Disgusting. Non-functional, it doesn't matter. The body of Christ keeps you from thinking, I have everything that I need to be the full body of Christ in and of myself. It says, no, I need other people's gifts. If I'm a foot, I need a, I need a calf, I need a leg, I need a heart, I need a brain, I need eyes. I need all of these things to function at my peak, to function healthily. But from the same, from just a slightly other angle, the same metaphor helps us to think not too lowly of ourselves because the second, what the natural tendency is to think, well, I'm just a foot. Hands are way cooler. Hands are way more functional. You know, you can type with hands. You can, do, you can scroll social media with hands. That's way better than my foot. And the same metaphor says, no, no, no. You can't think too lowly of yourself because the same applies to everyone else. No matter how glamorous or whatever we think other people's gifts are, no matter how exciting they are, no matter even how supernatural they seem like they are, it doesn't matter. A body functions at its best 
with every member serving its role. So other people need you as well. No matter who you are, no matter how you're gifted, you have an invaluable part to play in the body. That's what Paul's getting at. Don't think too highly of yourself. By implication, don't think too lowly of yourself. Think rightly of yourself. And he says, and to help you do that, let's start thinking about this body. And as we think about the body, we start thinking about spiritual gifts. So, as we said, Paul then, after teeing it up this way, he moves into a list of predominantly what we might call the mundane gifts. Um, Let's go back to the previous verse real screen real quick. Yeah. Um, So he gets into it. At the end of verse 6, he says, let us use them. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. And prophecy we mentioned last week. Prophecy is kind of the, the receiving divine communication from God and passing it on. Receiving and communicating direct revelation from God. And again, we're going to spend more, actually a whole sermon next week kind of breaking down prophecy and tongues. What is that? How should we think about that? We're going to just put pause on that for right now. But besides that one, that's obviously an overtly supernatural gift. After that one, look where he goes. He steps into what we could rightly term the mundane gifts. He says, verse 7, if service, gift of service, then in our serving. The one who teaches, a gift of teaching, in his teaching. The one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation or encouragement. The one who contributes or gives in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. With cheerfulness. So we can go to the next slide. I just want to quickly, like we did last week, give a, give a quick uh, attempt to, to sort of define some of these. And some of these are, are very vague and broad. Um, and we'll let them be that where we, where we need to. We mentioned prophecy, but then he moves into service. And we would probably define this as gifts of, of sort of an aptitude at various kinds of assistance and support to Christians. That is a big, broad term. Service in the church is talked about all kinds of ways, and so we'll just let that be broad. There are a million different applications of what it means to have the gift of service, but it's coming alongside and supporting others in the church or their ministries in the church. Mentions teaching. We, that was one that was mentioned last week as well. But again, not one that's super, uh, super supernatural feeling, to be sure. It's a gift of a special ability to explain and apply God's word. And we would note here that that's not just in, any, in one particular setting. That might be in a big group. That might be in a gigantic conference. That might be in a local church. That might be in a podcast. That might be in a small group. That might be simply across the table from somebody one-on-one. The gift of teaching may be particularly expressed in one of those areas more than others for somebody. So don't just narrow it to like a pastor on a stage at a church or whatever. The gift of teaching can be expressed in multiple ways and multiple avenues. Exhortation. This is the gift for speaking encouragement and comfort and consolation to others. I'm guessing most of us have met someone like that in our time in the church, if you've been in the church at all. Someone who just seems to have this uncanny ability to speak words of affirmation and encouragement to strengthen you, to spur you along. Some of those people are the most valuable in dark and distressing seasons of life. Contribution. 
contribution. We might call this the gift of capacity and willingness to share one's finances and possessions with the church community, either you know, giving to the church at large or, man, there's a need. There is a need in the body. It's been made known. Someone is really struggling, and these are the people who are going to say, I'm eager and willing and ready and able to step into this. And that one brings up a good point with all of these. We mentioned this last week. Just because these are certain people are gifted in these ways does not mean that we are all aren't called to do many of these things, right? Um, we are all called to encourage our brothers and sisters, no doubt about it. Some of us are just going to have a unique, special ability to do that, a, a spiritual gift of doing that. We're all called to be generous towards our church and towards our brothers and sisters in the church whenever needs arise. But some of us are just going to be given the supernatural ability to respond. And maybe even the means. Like, probably impl- implied, most scholars think, in this gift of contribution, this gift of giving, is like, you've got some extra possessions. You've been gifted with much so that you can be a gigantic blessing to others. It's typically the way it works in God's economy. We'll keep going. Leadership gift of leadership. We might call that a gift of wisdom and vision for leading others. And implicit in that is the ability to garner trust. Leaders seem to have the ability to attract people who actually do want to follow their leadership. And then mercy, the gift of skill and passion for caring for people in need, in distress, or in grief. Again, that's pretty broad. But acts of mercy, coming alongside people in deep need, having the skill and passion to do it well, uncommonly well. Again, all Christians are called to mercy. All of us. None of us are off the hook. But some of us, some of you probably in this room, have been supernaturally gifted by God to do that better than me. So, as we mentioned last week, most scholars agree that the biblical lists of gifts, this is just one of them here, they're, they're not exhaustive. They don't give us everything. Um, There are potentially endless gifts that aren't mentioned, some of which are probably so mundane that we would even struggle to recognize them as spiritual gifts. Um, I think this list gives us a hint that, man, some of these things, if if, if any of these are things that you would not expect to be a spiritual gift of God, uh, that should tee us off that there are probably many more that we would not expect. And I think some of that comes down to the folly of of the sort of sacred-secular divide that many of us have. Um, We we have a real failure, many of us, to to sort of see all things as spiritual in the sense that, man, God is the author of every good gift, the doctrine of common grace, every genuinely good thing, and certainly the parts of the good things that are good, is a gift from the Father above. And his concerns aren't exclusively with what happens in a church building or when we're expositing the Bible, but the fullness and the abundance and the goodness of life. He's the God of everything. Was it Abraham Kuyper that said, uh, there's no square inch of this world that he doesn't point to and say, that's mine. So our, our view of spiritual gifts can get really truncated when we have an overly kind of, kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Overly spiritualized view of just life in general. Remember, the, the first commission before the fall that God gave to his people was to be fruitful and multiply to have children, to make families, to go, to cultivate the earth, to 
partner with God in taking the raw materials of the good world that he's made and made it better. That is deeply spiritual activity. So from Genesis 1 and 2, we have these categories. It's not simply, I mean, I'm not trying to downgrade the importance of preaching the gospel, of course. But it's, not, it's to say that there are all kinds of categories of things that we might not typically think of as spiritual that are deeply spiritual. And it's the same for the spiritual gifts. It's the same for the spiritual gifts. One of the things that this does um, is, is to remind us of the dignity of every single part in the body of Christ. So if we return back to Paul's, Paul's challenge to think rightly about ourselves, we, we have to ask this, what do we do if we're discouraged by the mundaneness of how we are spiritually gifted? What, what if I, or you, just use first person here. What if I want to be a vehicle for the miraculous? Like the supernatural healing. I mean, I do. I'll, I'll state that. I have never, that I know of, like, well, actually, maybe one time in Belize. <laughs> actually, I, sh- I shouldn't speak so definitively here. There may have been one time in, in, uh, in Belize that this happened. But other than that, there have been many times when I've prayed for supernatural healing. Like, I want to see this person healed. There's nothing I want more. And I'm trusting God for it. And I'm praying deeply. And it doesn't happen. What if I want to be a regular vehicle for the miraculous, but instead, I'm one of the people who contributes generously? (laughs) Or what if I have a desire to lead people to glorious heights of worship through song, but instead, I have a gift for relational encouragement? Or what if I long to have a teaching gift? Or maybe a teaching gift that takes me beyond the people that I'm discipling or my small group or even my local church. And I want to be someone who's out there in the realm of the traveling speaker circuit or the sanctified social media influencer or the celebrity pastor. What if those are the things I want, but instead I'm gifted to care for a widow with significant needs? What would I say to God about that? How would that affect my self-image? We return to the words of Paul, this time in 1 Corinthians 12, where he, he, he expands on that body of Christ image. And I actually close your eyes and, and listen to this. I know some of you probably read this a million times and it's old hat, but I just, let's just, just close your eyes, kind of focus in on this. Hear the words of the apostle Paul here. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Stop there. You hear what Paul's saying? Like th- this is radically, radically countercultural. And in fact, I even feel self-conscious like preaching this because I know that texts like this, this text and this sentiment has been used like, <laughs> like by pastors and preachers to sort of like inception, <laughs> like reverse engineer this thing and to actually denigrate people. Say, well, there's greater dignity, so keep, you know, propping me up. Keep propping me up. But that's not what I'm interested in doing. I want us to hear the radically, radically countercultural vision of Paul and the Spirit of God here. The parts that we think are insignificant, God bestows greater honor upon. The things that we go, this doesn't matter, this is stupid, this is a bummer, there's no glory in this, this can't be important. I think when we're standing before God, those will be the ones that we are surprised at how they're celebrated. This is radically, radically not the way that we think. And we can even try to abuse this idea to to do its opposite. But listen to what he says. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less, notice, we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? We have to learn not to denigrate any of the gifts that God gives, but to radically celebrate and give thanks for each and every gift that we see expressed in our community. If this is true, if Paul is right, if Paul is right, and every single one of us has been supernaturally empowered by God in one way or many ways to serve this church, to make it grow into the stature of the fullness of Christ, like mentioned last week in Ephesians 4. If that's true, we have work to do, friends. We have serious work to do. And, and, and one of the works that we have to do by the grace of God is to discover how it is that we are each gifted. There's one thing to hear this and go, oh, that's a beautiful idea, that's lovely, that's so cool, that's interesting for, you know, people who, who jump in and are a part of this. No, this is crucial. 
If Paul is serious, that means you have to discover how you are gifted by God and bless this community, your brothers and sisters here with those gifts. So I want to just give a quick, a quick kind of, kind of framework for how we might go about discovering our gifts. And there's no simple formula. There's no like, just do these easy six steps and you will have the life of your dreams or whatever. Um, but these, I think, are, are time-proven ways and avenues for availing ourselves to God, to let, him, to let Him communicate about ourselves. They're all important. First is this. If your heart is pricked and you're like, I have no idea what my spiritual gifts are, but I'd like to know. Start here. Ask God. Have you ever done that? Pray. Pray to the God who is there, who is listening, who who you have the ear of by virtue of being in Christ. Pray to the God of the universe and say, how have you gifted me? Lord, make it clear. Make it clear. I want to know. Ask him. Second, process in community. Um, ask your community here at the church what they have seen in you the people that you're in small group with, community group with, the people that you just, you know, maybe you haven't been in a formal group or whatever, but you just, they're the people that you see once a week or every couple of weeks. You, you have that kind of deep heart connection. They know you. They know your life. They know what you do. They know where you struggle. They've seen you at your best and at your worst. Ask those people, what do you see in me? How do you think I'm gifted? That's a vulnerable thing to ask. We should be asking it. We should be asking it. What do you see in me? If you're not in community here at this church, get into community. Let us help you. Email me, email Josh. We want you to be rubbing shoulders with people in ways where you are actually known. Where you are actually known. This is one reason why. You can discover who God has made you to be. You only find that out in community. Since these gifts are for community, it would make sense. It would follow that they can really only finally be discovered in community. Let people speak into your life on these things. A third avenue is to examine your passions, examine your joys, examine your interests. What are the things that stir your heart up? What are the things that when you're doing, you just find peace and joy and excitement? Feels like all is right in the world. That's not necessarily an indicator of a spiritual gift, but I believe that it really can be. What are the things that just come to you like second nature? It's very, very likely that connected in there is some sort of spiritual gift that the Lord might want to harness within you for the good of others. I think fourth, just serve. Just serve. It, enter a process of trial and error. There are constant needs around the church, and I mean, this goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's not, you, you, the only places that you are permitted to serve are not where like your spiritual gift is most utilized. Um, there are all kinds of ways that we all, myself included, need to be serving this church just because there's a need. And we're all called to be servants. We're all called to pitch in. But through that process of, of serving, trying different things, plugging in different areas, you might discover, oh my goodness, like I'm good at this. I'm good at this. I love this. I have passion for this. Very well could be a spiritual gift right there. Trial and error is a super important part of discovering. 
I would note too, I would note too on this note that as we're, as we're talking about serving various places, I don't mean exclusively in formal capacities. Sometimes that just means like, okay, well right now, small church kind of rebuilding after COVID, we're trying to figure out, basically your options are like serving on the coffee team or with the children <laughs> or in the band. Like, and that's not good. We do, we, we want to grow more formal opportunities to kind of like formal places where we can harness gifts. And that's one reason, like, I think prayer team could be a really amazing avenue as we're starting that conversation about birthing that here on Sundays for more of these gifts to kind of find their place. Um, but I, I want to be very clear. I don't just mean, though we do want to create more spaces here at our Sunday church gatherings for gifts to be expressed explicitly. Um, that's not the only avenue. Don't click into this like, okay, it must be a formal role where I'm on a schedule from one of the people at the church to serve. That's not what we mean. Oh, though we do need people in the children's ministry desperately right now. <laughs> Trial and error, people. There are Place, there are formal places outside of this gathering, places like community groups and book clubs and putting together, like Ben and Joel, putting together a Wednesday night bike ride and all these various, like various things, Play-Doh and Bible studies, whatever. Like there are different avenues where you just get plugged in, try something, lead something, just join something and see once again where you might be able to, to serve and lead and see where these things are. But even beyond that, don't limit this stuff to even that. Programize things that the church puts on. These gifts are also expressed just in the ways we just relate to one another organically as a church family. You know, there are some of you who I know are carrying like a lot on your shoulders in terms of just like caring, caring for people in our community when they're struggling. Showing up, bringing meals. Like no one's asking you to do that. You're just doing it. There may be a spiritual gift there, or you may just be an incredibly, uh, incredibly generous person or whatever. But I just, want, I just want us to have a vision that, doesn't trans it, that, that extends beyond programs for this stuff. Every relational opportunity we have is an opportunity to exercise and discover our spiritual gifts, friends. It does not have to be that something on a spreadsheet somewhere on a schedule. I just want you to hear that. Those things are important too but don't limit it to that. Fifth, fifth, ask God to give you particular gifts. Acknowledging, of course, as we've said repeatedly, he gives the gifts as he sees fit. It's not up to us, but it is interesting. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians to, he, at one point he says, to seek the higher gifts. So seek them. You're, you may not be gifted in a certain way, but if, if you want experience with that gift, Seek it. Pursue it. I just want to name that. That's not wrong to say, man, I, there's something in me that wants, that wants to experience this gift. And I think he's talking about, in that context, the kind of more miraculous gifts that probably aren't ones that are always on a person. They might come and go. He mentioned healing specifically. We mentioned that there doesn't seem to be any evidence in the New Testament time of anyone who just was an always capable, supernatural healer by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'd imagine if that person existed, Paul would have said, hey, go find Steve. Let him pray for you. He has the gift of healing. Uh, it could be, but I, I don't think so. It seems like that was one of the gifts that would come and go. And the command is to, for all of us to be praying for supernatural healing. 
that God is capable of it. We're going to ask for it. We're going to step into that. And some of us are going to experience the joy of being the avenue through which God brings that healing. That's amazing. Seek the higher gifts. Seek them. Don't be afraid of them. If there's something on your heart, pursue it. Pursue it. Once again, acknowledging that it's ultimately up to him. We can't control it. It'll be according to his will. But we can ask him. We can ask him. And then finally, we'll just say this. Commit to pursuing Jesus and growing in him. It, it, can, be a t- it can be tempting to kind of get this myopic focus on the spiritual gifts like, okay, okay, well, this is new. This spiritual gifts, I got to find out my role and my function. And it can just kind of turn into sort of an overly narrow and you're sort of neglecting all the other things of the Christian life and just life in general. Um, recognize this, that that discovering and developing your own spiritual gifts is one part of a holistic picture of growing in Christ. And from the flip side, growing in Christ is probably one of the ways in which you're going to discern and discover and grow in your spiritual gifts. So spending time with him, spending time in Christian community, spiritual disciplines and practices, pursuing God, abiding in him deeply, abiding in him deeply, will surely bring focus and power and clarity to your use of the spiritual gifts. I hope that makes sense. This is just one piece. Don't let this become the sole thing that the Christian life is about. This is one part of growing to Christian maturity. There you go. Six easy steps to the life you've always dreamed of. No, I think these are... I think these are Tried and true, historically, throughout the church, ways people have, have leaned into this conversation and discovered how God wants to use them in their communities. So may we pursue these things, Store of Hope Northeast, together. Um, Josh and I were talking on Monday, Monday, Thursday, I don't know, one day this week, a day this week, that um, our, our desire, even like this, okay, we talking about this right now. Next week, we're going to be on to prophecy, and so we're going to move on from here. In a few weeks, we're going to be done with this series. But we just want to name it explicitly. Like, we, we do not view naively that, like, hey, we, we had a talk about the mundane spiritual gifts, and we, we, we had one slide with six bullet points about discovering your spiritual gifts. We've done it. Let's move on. We're good. Conversation over. Uh, great work, everybody. We've, we've solved spiritual gifts at Door of Hope Northeast. Certainly not. This, this is a starting place. This is a starting place for something that we really do want to see become like infused deeply into the bedrock of this church. And what that means is that this can't be the last time we talk about it. This is something we're talking about. How do we infuse this into community groups? Maybe there's weeks of our community group where we really just create space to, to, to talk about identifying and speaking encouragement into one another's gifts. Doing that multiple times every semester. Um, revisiting this concept. Maybe having a place in kind of our church, our Sunday morning church liturgy where we just acknowledge the gifts and, you know, like highlighting people. I don't know. We're brainstorming. But we just want to acknowledge, like, this is not, our desire is not for this to just be that one interesting conversation we had this one time. We think this is actually deeply, deeply important for us being the church God is calling us to be. And so this cannot be the end of the conversation. This is the beginning of the conversation. 
And if you hear us go a couple months and you're like, oh, is, are, are we doing anything to develop people and helping them identify their gifts? Send me the mean email. Write it as meanly as you can so it'll get my attention. And because we, we want to be moving this direction as a community. Amen? It is too easy. It is too easy to let one or two people um, become the, the hub from which everything flows. And that is not how Paul that is not how the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul speaks about a healthy church. It's just not. We're all going to have different gifts and functions. We're all not going to be doing the same things, and that is okay. We're not going to denigrate anybody, and we're not going to overly glorify anybody. We're just going to say God is good. He gives many gifts, and when they're working together, this thing builds up into something that it could not be apart from the divine grace of God. That's what we want. That's what we want. That's what we're after. Well, that's it for this morning. I don't know how you're gifted, but I hope that this will be a place where you can find those gifts and see, those, see them like, just see that fire just scaffolded and protected, find kindling thrown on it, and then logs and flame, and it just grows into this massive thing. We need you. We need you at this place. So for now, let's just pray. Let's just pray and ask God to do that work. It's ultimately going to be up to him.